everyone's got opinions when it comes to leadership. And let's be honest, how many experts do we all know? But where can we find real leadership advice that's not BS? Well, look no further. Welcome to No BS Leadership, where on each episode, we attempt to expose the gap between what leaders think they should be doing and what actually works without the BS. Join Myra, Jeff with a G, Dr. Sam, Jeffrey, and me, Jeff with a J, as we work to debunk those leadership myths. Listen in as we irritate some, inform others, and challenge all leaders to discover a better path to the leadership excellence we all want. And here we are again, friends, with No More Leadership BS, having a podcast, having a good time, and we're going to talk today about some motivational factors. But first, we got some friends here. Friends, let's introduce ourselves. Myra, say hey to the people. Hey, everybody. Nice and succinct. Like it. Conroy. Yeah. Hello, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long way around to say hello. No, I baffled him. Yeah. I baffled him. I'm stymied. <laughs> and I'm Sam, the not Jeff male in the group. And we have Jeff McLaughlin on deck today to talk about uh, motivation. And he's going to come at it from a perspective that is both unique and once you hear it, I think you'll say, yeah, of course that makes sense. But without giving his story away, McLaughlin, please take the wheel and take it somewhere cool. I will do my very best today. You guys, those of you that don't know, six foot two, 220 pounds with a big gray beard. There you go. Now you can picture it. I started off my career as a kindergarten school teacher. And so I'm sure you can imagine that, first of all, male, males in elementary education, particularly early elementary education, are fairly rare. And let alone, there's not a whole lot of, of male teacher, kindergarten teachers. So I actually got to cut my teeth and learn about education from my five-year-olds and six-year-olds in my classroom. And I absolutely loved my time in kindergarten. It was just a kick in the pants. But what I learned was that, that really human beings are kind of basic, simple creatures. When we figure out their motivators, when we figure out what works for them and that's how I learned. I learned through five-year-olds. Five-year-olds and six-year-olds actually taught me how to work with other people. So there was that book, Everything I Need to Know, I Learned in Kindergarten. Yep. And it's honestly, it's really pretty true. How do you behave? How do you take care of people? And what are the most important things? Basic. So what I learned was very quickly, first of all, the very first day of school when kindergartners came into the classroom and I jumped out from behind a door and said, hello, I'm your teacher. That that was a terrifying experience for a lot of kids and a lot of parents who were dropping children going, uh, hi, we're looking for the teacher. Who are you? And I'd be like, it's me. I'm the teacher. They're like, maybe you don't understand what a teacher looks like. It's not you. <laughs> and so right off the bat, I learned, oh, great. So there's an expectation of what a teacher looks like. And I was not it for a kindergarten teacher. But secondly, I learned that if a little five-year-old was number one, fed, they had snacks, and number two was having fun, that they were completely engaged in the process. And so how do we translate that now into the business world working with adults? It comes down to me for, is it the carrot or the stick? Which one works better with teams in different industries? Because I think they both have their place I tended to go towards 
more carrot than stick. But every once in a while, you had to use the stick just so that they knew it was there. And sometimes it was necessary. But I would say 90% of the time, it was the carrot. Here's the motivator. Here's how we get to do things versus you have to do it or you're going to get the punishment. Very rarely did I use the punishment, but it was there if it was needed. So you guys, I'm curious with your, your experience, was the carrot more effective or was the stick more effective? And what are some examples that you used for both of them if you actually use both? Yeah, I, I just got this uh, notice from legal that says I need to say out loud, we can give carrots to five-year-olds, but don't hit them with sticks. That's from our legal department. <laughs> just saying, we have to clarify. <laughs> but it, it, is, it is necessary to, to have more of the enticement and incentivization, incentivizing of people to help them. That's see. our college system there, ladies right. and gentlemen. Working for us and my coffee's drained down an episode ago. So uh, that's where my energy went. But folks want to be engaged and do things for the greater good. And that includes kiddos. So they want to be a part of a larger group. And they may not say that in those words, but they don't want to feel isolated. So when you incentivize people to engage in a process, um, activity, that's just going to help. If you force them into it, what you'll get is resistance. And they may have, they may participate, but with very little energy, effort, or desire to be there. I heard a wonderful anecdote. It just goes right, right along what you're talking about, Jeff. Is a father was having a hard time getting his five year old to clean his room. It, threats didn't work. Disappointment didn't work. Nothing he did was motivating enough to get the child to get in the habit of keeping his room clean or just cleaning it in the first place. And one day he said, Hey, Timmy, whatever his name was, he says, Superman can clean his room in five minutes. Can you beat Superman? And he cleaned the room in less than five minutes. <laughs> it just really proves your point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You find the right motivator. You find the motivator for the student or the person. And you start to say, okay, great. Can you do this? It's a challenge. So that kid wanted a challenge. And it was probably somebody that was like, oh, Superman. I love Superman. That's great. You meet somebody where they're at. And if you're in the business world, if you have a new employee and you're training them, like I've always found that the best way is correct in the moment if you see a mistake so that they don't make the mistake again. Oh, hey, wait a minute. This is why we don't do that. It's a safety issue. This is a productivity thing. It's not going to work out. Or this is just not how to do it because we found that it's not as effective as this method. Correct it in the moment and then reward the new behavior, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. So rewarding good behaviors. Is, is simple. And in kindergarten, it was so funny. I would have kids come in and we would do circle time. And some kids were, obviously we had ADHD. We have all sorts of different diagnoses. I had a lot of those kids in my classroom, but I would have one kid sit down the way I wanted to. And I would just look at them and say, oh my gosh, I appreciate how well you're sitting down. Crisscross applesauce, hands folded in your lap, your eyes and ears are listening. Man, I just really appreciate that. So cool. And then the three kids that were around that kid would all do the exact same thing. Oh man, you guys did it too? Oh, that's so amazing. Give me a high five. And then all of a sudden, the five, 10 kids around them and it just spread because they wanted to be recognized for positive behavior. And then every time they came to the floor of space, oh, look at I've gotten this person. You guys are doing such a great job. And it, it helped to cement the positive behavior that I wanted them to display. And as a five-year-old, that's easy. Great. If you're sitting this way, you're doing this, you're doing this. Here's your snack. 
great. You get a high five. You get my attention for the right reasons versus the negative, which I would tend to ignore unless it was dangerous because I wanted the positive, I wanted to reward positive behaviors. And so does that work in the business world? So, so, you're, positive, like, so, so when you're talking, what you're talking about is positive reinforcement. Yeah. Simple, yeah. positive so, reinforcement. Yeah, I, I've always found that positive reinforcement is, in my experience, the best carrot is positive reinforcement. They need to know that you're going to discipline in private but compliment in public. I've even had bosses, and it's always worked for me because I'm a carrot kind of guy. I had a boss once send my wife flowers saying, Jeff's doing a great job. That that motivated me. That incentivized me. I, that's the carrot for me. I think being negative and negative reinforcement is counterintuitive to what mm-hmm. businesses want. For sure. So that reward is, is uh, lucky to the person that you want to engage in the, in the same behavior. So, if, for example, if I did something at work that you know people thought was you know pretty awesome, and they sent my spouse flowers, I'd be like, "Well, that's fine, but okay." But when they look at my work and say, "Wow, it's clear you put a lot of effort into this, and there's some things we didn't think about," and strike my ego where my brain is and go, "Oh man, that's awesome," when you think of it this way, then yeah, I'm gonna go in and do double time on the next one because they hit the thing that resonates with me, and it's just a matter of finding that what type of carrot. Do your people like? You know, assuming that they all are going to like carrots, figure out which one it is and then use it and not abusing and not overusing it. But when it's appropriate and makes sense for the situation, of course, make sure you let people know that they're doing good stuff. Yeah. To that point, Dr. Sam, mo- motive or motivation is an internal thing. We can't motivate someone else. We can only discover what motivates them. Yes. And so, you have to have relationships and you have the culture has to be such that people are engaged and, and inquisitive about what motivates me and what motivates you. I, I can't provide someone else's motivation. I can only discover what motivates them and then use that. Use sounds like a maybe an aggressive term, mm-hmm. but you utilize their own internal motivations to take them where or to help them go where they want to go anyway, that's lined up with our corporate mission and vision and values and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I read once my job isn't to motivate people and my job is to hire motivated people. Right. Yeah. Motive is an internal thing. It's not an external thing. Well, just why go ahead. I was going to say, it's really interesting because I believe that even at little five-year-olds, little kindergartners have an internal motivation, whether that's learning or playground or snacks or the people or, you know, free time at the Lego station, whatever it was. Yep. If if you had the right, if you had to learn about them though, you had to engage with them on a personal basis and say, hey, what yeah. do you really like? And five-year-olds are very honest and they will tell you exactly what they want, yeah. which is a little different than in when we become adults and we learn how to hide things and be yeah. a little more cryptic. But that relationship piece is what drives, I think, most people to be appreciated, to be uh, a part of a team to be internally motivated to learn and to do something better is, I think it's intrinsic to human beings for the most part. Right. Which is why when somebody says that I'm going to leave the company and the, the boss comes in with a counter offer, raises up the stakes a little bit and they say, oh, in that case, I'll stick around. That boost in salary or whatever the benefit is, assuming it's more of a tactile thing, maybe it'll get that person to stick around to be quote unquote happy for a few months. But that'll fade because they still have the same emotional connection mm-hmm. to that company they had before that counteroffer was ever brought in. So the idea of 
finding people where they are. And Jeff, I, I appreciate your cautiousness of saying and use that motivation because no, we're not trying to manipulate people. We're trying to help them be the best version of themselves. And that sounds cute and airport bookish, but it's honestly true because we want people to use their strengths and engage in a way that makes sense for them because they'll be much more productive and happy. And want to be happy in a space you have to be for most of your, your waking hours. No, that, that's right. And that, that, that word you just came to me as I say that. And uh, those of you that know me, my, my brain shifts real quick and the squirrels go by and it's, whoa, wait a minute. No, we're not using people. <laughs> it's called stability. We are absolutely not using people. We are helping them grow and discover their own gifts and talents that, that can blossom in our, our environment and bring value to, to everything that we're doing and focused on that. Then all the other things that you need in business, like, oh, profit and those other things seem to come. But if you take care of the people and, and find what motivates them and help them develop the create environments where they can develop those things. Yeah. Then you're really off to the races. Mm-hmm, for sure. I wish I was as noble as you guys, because I, as an educator, I will say that there were definite times when I totally tried to manipulate them into good behavior. <laughs> I was at the bottom of lower education, like kindergarten. This is the start. There were some days where it was anything I could do to just survive while it, it was working. Do you guys remember who was the person that wrote the book that teaching with love and logic? They had teaching with love and logic and parenting with love and logic. Oh yeah. And it was all about positive choices and making sure that the student and the, the child felt like they were valued. And I was like, oh, this is brilliant. And I said, but this doesn't work for a substitute school teacher. A substitute school teacher needs teaching with hate and trickery so that they can survive the classroom. Okay. Because there's a whole difference of, yeah, when you have time to develop the relationship, then it ha- happens. If you're a substitute school teacher in today's system, you're on survival mode. They don't pay you enough. I'm so sorry. It's like you don't have any time to go in and develop a relationship. You've got maybe like 30, 40 minutes of class time that you take attendance, you try and teach something. It's you got to do every trick in the book just to try and get people to listen because students are challenging sometimes. Yeah. But when you do have those chances, the long term, you have a team that you can get to know, you can do amazing things. So like my 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 incredible most amazing moment in education came about five months into school. And I'd been training them from day one. This is how our class works. This is how we do things. And I finally was like, I think my kids are ready. I think my kids are ready. I'm going to test them. And I threw a test at them. I, when they came into the classroom, I didn't say anything. I pointed to them and I looked at them and they all looked at me. They're like, what's going on? He's not talking. I pointed at my throat and I gave him like the hand across the throat. I can't talk. And I just did him and, and, and I said, I can't talk. I, and I mimed, couldn't speak. And I pointed at all of them and I gave them a thumbs up and they all went thumbs up. And I ended up teaching kindergarten for two days without saying a single word. <laughs> the kids took over the classroom. They knew their behavior. They knew what was expected. They knew how to go from one thing to another. I would write the schedule on the board and they would leave ty- snack time. They led our singing time. Time they led our our little circle time with the calendar. They did math. They did everything on their own, and it was the calmest, most insane two days ever because they took complete leadership and ownership of the classroom. That's it was awesome. unbelievable. Just like little five year olds ran the world. 
I was like, this is perfect. You guys are amazing. And they did it all themselves. Wait, they, they're not? Oh, no. They're, that's just gonna, I was that just going to say, I was going to say, yeah. is that happening now? Right. <laughs> now that they're all in college. Oh, man, I just dated myself. <laughs> my little five-year-olds are collegiates. Oh, my gosh. Higher education now. Man, man you're old. I know. <laughs> you can see the beard, huh? Isn't that, that's a good um, story, Jeff. And can be applied to business with adults today. Uh, not that the bot needs to feign laryngitis or whatever, but you set expectations and create the environments where people can perform to the best of their abilities. Then you don't need to micromanage the thing every moment of every day. You delegate? Delegate, create ownership. Wow. And then they have so buy it. Wow. Accountability. And even, kid, even kindergartners get that. Right. Even five-year-olds get it, right? <laughs> it's amazing what snacks and recess can do for people telling you right now. Even people our age, snacks and recess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But see, it's the simplest motivators out there. Human beings are easy. Snacks and recess. That's all we really want in life. That, that's all we want in life. <laughs> good snacks and good recess. So in our last, like our closing time here, first of all, thank you for listening. All of our listeners in Eastern Oregon and three in New Zealand. It's awesome. We appreciate you guys. And if you have any questions, comments, or you just want to say, oh my gosh, that was just the best thing ever. Please reach out to us at askus at leadershipbs.co. Share your stories. We'd love to interact with our audience. We'd love to hear what you guys are thinking. And you never know, we actually might use what you guys have uh, sent us on one of our episodes to talk about because we love the different topics. We, we have our own topics, but we would love to hear what other people want to hear. And what you're going through in your life, whether that's business or you got a crazy boss, you got a great boss, you got a great team, you got a terrible team, reach out to us. We'd like to hear and potentially even give you a hand if you, if you so desire. So from all of us here at the No More Leadership BS podcast studios, which is in our homes and offices across the beautiful United States of America, thank you so much for listening and we hope to see you next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the No Leadership BS Podcast. If you have any stories, questions, or comments you would like to share with us, please email us at askus at leadershipbs.co. That's askus at leadershipbs.co. If we use your email questions or comments, you will win a DISC behavioral assessment and debrief with one of our highly trained podcast teammates. And last but not least, don't forget to give us a five-star review so we can reach more people. Thank you so much and tune in next time. We'll see you then.